I received your flyer, which gives the title for tonight's presentation, A Guide for the Perplexed, which I take to assume means that if you're here, there's confusion. And then the unraveling of the mysteries of matchmaking. So I have to give you a disclaimer up front that I'm least qualified to unravel any mystery, let alone that of matchmaking, which we all know really takes place in Shemayim. But we're here for some clarity. So I'm going to do my best to share with you my observations working with singles for the past, since 1990, uh, 15 years or so. I would like to start with a very short story that the Briskorov was asked, what did he attribute all the success that he evidently demonstrated in having raised, I think it was nine children and married them all off, all exceptional towering personalities. And he answered three words, Tehillim, with the mass, the recital of psalms with tears. So in a certain sense, I'm offering that as our starting point and to perhaps reinforce it, the Chavetz Chaim was known to say that raising children is a hundred percent siyatat The only reason we as parents bother trying to raise this child marry them off, which is one of the four or six obligations we'll find in the Gemara and Kedushin. This just for effect, it's okay. <laughs> they want to see if I memorized my notes without being able to read them. By here, okay. The Chavetz Chaim said it's 100% the only reason we put so much effort into raising our children is so that in Shemayim we can say we did our best. But in reality, it's really Siyatat Shemayah 100% of the way. How many of us have already seen, without the area of raising children, without even entering the dimension of having married some of our children, how many of us have seen in our own personal lives and in business that our efforts did not equal the result and that the right person or mentor or teacher or shidduch or per connection, business and elsewhere turned up from left field the very direction which I was not looking into. So that being the case, we're still here nevertheless tonight and I commend all of those who put this together and the turnout as a reflection of our desire to please Hashem in the responsibility He gave us to, number one, teach our children Torah, two, teach them a trade, three, marry our children. There's one other Manda Amma to teach them to swim. Really they're all the same thing. All four of these items, when I said six before, that's because if one has a firstborn, then there's a brismilla and pigeon a ben. But that aside, these four are generic to all of us. 
Raising our children. What's the purpose of raising our children? Why do we give to our kids so much? We give to them and give and give and give and give and give. Why? And the answer is in order to stop giving. The real purpose of raising our children is to enable them, empower them to become independent. Around about 34, 36 years old. Uh, sorry, 18 years old. Didn't mean to be so honest. I beg your pardon. For our children to become independent. Never forget a friend of mine was packing once for a, a plane he suddenly had to take for an important business meeting. And his mom says, uh, son, let me, let me pack it for you. I know exactly what you need. Mom, it's okay. I can do it myself. Son, you have a plane to catch. Mom, I can do it myself. Thank you. Son, you got more important. Mom, I'm 45 years old. You know, if mom is still helping me when I'm 45 years old, is she helping me become independent or is she nurturing me in being selfish, egoistic and self-centered? So we know that number one, the purpose of raising children is really independence. So teaching Torah is to give them the ability, the clarity, the direction, halacha really comes from the word leich, direction, to give them direction that they are independently able to find out on their own how to be a Jew. Learning from the text itself, finding out clarity from a Rebbe. Number two, teaching them a trade. What is the purpose of teaching our child a trade? What is the ultimate underlying purpose of an umnus that our child will ultimately be independent, financially independent, is considered real greatness. That's true independence. We even have in Hilchas Tzedakah, there's an expression in regard to a cotton, a child no longer dependent on his father's table, Nikra Gadol, is called an adult. And an adult still dependent on his father's paycheck, Nikra Katan, is called a minor that there's a context of raising our children and the theme is the exact same. It's about teaching independence. That they will be eventually able to continue the Masora, pass it on to the next generation, the family that they build. And number three, marry our child off. That's our third obligation. What is that? I mean, it's a 25 cent phone call to the Shadchan, oh, have I got a Shidduch for your son? No, it's much more complicated than that. So what does it mean that we have an obligation to marry our child? I think the answer is, when we're looking at this theme of independence, that I as a parent, while my child lives in my home, is exposed to the way I relate to my spouse, the way we handle the differences that come up in the family, how to handle a not always easy father, a not always easy mother-in-law, a not always easy brother and sister and sibling and friend. I need a father-in-law joke. Please, someone help me with a father-in-law joke. What's happening over here is that independence clearly becomes the theme of everything that we're really supposed to be doing for our children. And that all the years our children live in our home, the marriage they are exposed to is the preparation, so to speak, for them being married. It's not just a phone call to the Shadchan. And it's not just our tears and our tefillahs. Our Hishtadlus is who we become as people in our relationship to our spouse. I'm going to talk about this in a few more details, but essentially what I've chosen for tonight's theme is the following. 
having identified that independence is really the ultimate goal, I want to pinpoint one area in preparing our children for marriage. And that is the following. I'm going to put it in the following context. A number of months ago, Gateways, who I'm very uh, blessed to work with, provided after many months of preparation and discussion with Inve Hagefen, an organization that many of you are familiar with, for helping from young singles to find their bachet. We made a seminar that was focused on a very specific age group, 20 to 35. No one younger or older was permitted to come to this seminar. And we divided up into workshops on Friday night. And I was given a workshop of 40 singles, 20 young men, 20 young ladies. <coughs> they were sitting opposite each other, and I was the facilitator. So the theme I was asked to bring out in this workshop was the list. What's on your list? What should be on your list? Now, I'm just going to pretend for a moment. I'll tell you what happened. It was a very, very interesting, extremely telling evening. We had five Shatchanim standing there, and we were all in shock as the presentation and then the interaction unfolded. So I'm going to just pretend for a moment that you are that workshop, and I'm going to ask you to help me here. What's on your list? What should be on your list? You're looking for the ideal partner. What is it you're looking for each time you go on a date? Now, obviously, I'm not speaking to this audience as singles, but transpose your minds into those of your children. Or if you were to able to dub, to put into the minds of your children your list, what are you looking for? Help me over here. It doesn't have to be in priority. Just give me a few examples. We'll play with it. Money. Money. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate your honesty. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Midot. Excellent. So we've got money and midot. Yes, ma'am. A mensch. Hashkatha. Looks. <coughs> Men, calm down, calm down. <coughs> Good family. Yechus. What else are we looking for? We've got looks, money. Good family, midot, hashkafat, size, as, as in size size eight. What was that? Which size? Sorry, zero one or two. Okay. Okay. So uh, the waist size of the men should be somewhere between thirty-four and eighty-four. What else? What else are we looking for? Friendship level of learning. Shalom Bayit. They're coming from a home of Shalom Bayit. Excellent. So here's what we did with this. Here's what, anyone else want to add anything that's not been said? Is there anything missing on this list? Okay, I'm going to suggest one. But forgive me for, for suggesting it. Happy, is that important? Should we add that? That's okay. Okay, so we add happy. Healthy, is that important? Well, that, that is, okay, fine. Any, any others? At the back, sorry? <laughs> 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 
the most important question, can the girl support the family? Okay. Why are you laughing? Oh, you thought she was joking. Sorry, okay. Anything else you want to add to this list? Yes, sir. Sorry? Responsibility. In which area? All areas. Financially responsible. Do you agree? Okay, I'll, I'll give a definition for that. Spending less than one earns. Shall I repeat that? Okay. Financially responsible. Uh, responsible in all areas. Maturity. Sense of humor. Personality. Is there anything missing on this that we have? To, is there anything more you want to add? Flexibility. Avatran. Easy going. You're at Shemaim. Always have one fanatic in every audience. Okay. Okay. You're at Shemaim. Yeah, that's a good. P.S. You're at Shemaim. Fine. Okay, good. Absolutely. I agree with that one. And anything else you want to add to this list? Hobbies. Did I hear you correctly? Okay. I'm not going to ask what hobbies, but never mind. So, doesn't smoke. I agree with that one. Okay. Excellent. Doesn't drink. Doesn't gamble. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else that you think is major that we should be at that's not on this list? Yes. Excellent. The, 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 the male part should have a Rebbe that he has a strong connection to and a, a sense of accountability. That makes a very big difference. Where they want to live. The level of dedication and the hashkafa towards learning. You want the, uh, uh, basic compatibility in that area. Is there anything else you want to add to this list? Self-esteem. Self okay, I'm going to close the list here. I'm assuming that pretty much everything's on there. Here's what we did with the with the two groups after we had this long list Midat Yirat Shemayim learning Hashkafa towards learning financial responsibility looks size money once we finished this list I essentially said imagine for a moment you now go on your next date and all these items that you have on your list you start checking off and you have a rating of 0 to 10 and it happens to be that out of 0 to 10, this person you meet scores 10 on each item. Would you marry this person? Yes or no? Any, any hesitation? Or can we say Mazel Tov? Hard to believe. Okay. If there's anything missing, add it on chemistry. Check it off. And you, Amazing. I can't believe it. The chemistry is 10 out of 10. Now, for you to have a reality check, you then make some inquiries from references that you were given and perhaps from references that you sought out on your own initiative and discover to your pleasure that these references are people of integrity and therefore reliable and they're giving you a score of 10 out of 10 on everything that you're asking them on this list. Would you say Mazel Tov or would there be any hesitation? Okay, you still want to know if this is for real. This sounds like a dream. Would you say Mazel Tov, yes or no? No. 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 Why not? What's missing? 
Okay, let's put on the, on, the, on the list, let's have met at least three times. How many times do you want to meet? I met, I met my wife six times. I had a friend, still my friend, who were best friends. We were best friends in, in school. He's not, uh, not religious, unfortunately. And um, he thought that, you know, in the world of Shadchanim uh, and Shaduchim, you you marry immediately, like after 20 minutes of uh, introduction. So he asked me, very daringly, if it was love at first sight. So I said, no, it took 15 minutes. <laughs> so, okay, you want to meet three times? How many times? Six times? Adequate number of times. Okay, put that on, and now check it off. 10 out of 10, you've met 10 times, and each time was at least three hours. So you got 30 hours of meeting. Is that adequate? Sound satisfactory? Fine. Check it off. Now will you say Mazel Tov? Yes. yes. Any hesitation? Okay. He, guess what? I'm not sure if it's fair to ask you this, but guess what happened when I threw out to the group, men were on this side, the ladies were on this side. I said, now that we've put everything down on the list and we've checked it out and it's 10 out of 10, is there any hesitation or can we say Mazel Tov? Guess what happened in that group? No one said Mazel Tov. So I asked, is, f what is missing? What is missing? Let's put it on the list. So a gentleman said, one gentleman said, well, I, ha I have to feel that it clicks. So I said to him, fix your click. <laughs> That's not my line. I actually heard it from Rabbi Victor Müller Hatzal, who once heard someone tell him, it has to click, so he said, fix your click. <laughs> Let's say, so here's the problem. Here's the problem. We've got everything on the list, and they're still not saying yes. And we had 40 people in the room, between the age of 20 and 35, something wasn't clicking. Something's not right. What's missing? Lack of commitment? Fear. Fear of what? We established the following. The Shadchanim were in shock. But let me, let me just share with you, because this is, if you like, what I'm trying to share with you is the experience of 40 people in the room, and none of them, none of them, not one person felt sufficiently courageous, whether they didn't want to be the first one to say it, to say, yes, I can say Mazel Tov. So scary. What's happened? What's going on? What's happening in a, this generation that perhaps is different to ours or our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, where number one, divorce is on a, in a, on a completely different rate, even within our own communities, our religious communities. What is it about our youth that with a very different self-esteem that I think we had in our times, there's so many more opportunities in the workplace. And there's so many of our, our young men and women who are able and have demonstrated expertise in their area of business, aptitude. And yet, in this particular arena, somehow there's a tremendous hesitation, there seems to be fear, and even when we create an ideal of asking them, come up with your list and just pretend for a moment that you've met someone and it's 10 out of 10 and whatever is missing, add it to the list and then check it off, 10 out of 10. Now will you marry? Something is missing. 
So three things came up. Number one, the fear of marriage because divorce has become so strong within the community and certainly the secular community that there's a fear, will my marriage work? So that becomes a hesitation and one has to recognize that's legitimate. That's not a blaming and that's not, that's not accusative and that's not pointing fingers. We're making an observation of reality. This is not an evaluation. Number two, some of them have peers who are struggling in their marriage and they pick up on the subtleties when they visit them or spend a Shabbos meal with them or they hear directly from their friends what they're suffering in trying to hold their marriage together that this also feeds into the fear of will I be successful in my marriage? And Interesting. So, hello? Just want to make sure I'm still here. Okay. The third one, which, which came out, which is an area which I, sp I speak about a lot, is the power of the media. That the media has essentially raised a generation. It, did, it was our generation that they raised, but it's more our children's generation. What is the assumption in every single commercial? There's a very powerful assumption. Essentially, the assumption is you can't possibly be happy, fulfilled, have meaning in your life until you're buying this product or living this lifestyle. But what's, what's the deeper message in this? The deeper message essentially in this is that happiness in any area of one's life, let's take marriage, is that when things are better than they are now, then I will be happy. That happiness is not what's already in my wife, in my life, in my husband, but when the gap between who they are now and who I want them to be is closed, then I'll be happy with this person. When you're more respectful, more appreciative, more loving, more attentive to me, more empathetic, then you have no idea how much love is just waiting to burst out on you. Now this doesn't apply to anyone in this audience, but some of you have friends who know what I'm talking about. That when I hold you to when you are more responsible or loving or affectionate or giving or generous or understanding or empathetic or sensitive, and finish the list, then I'll be happy with you in this relationship. The power of the media has sold on our generation, certainly our children's generation, the definition of unhappiness. I'll just give you one example. Last week on my cell phone, I cannot believe. I get a text message. I open up the cell phone and this is what it reads. I'm reading to you verbatim exactly what it said. For only $5 a month, we will ring your cell phone every hour so that people around you will think you have friends. <laughs> What's the assumption in this offer? that I don't have friends. And if it's true I don't have friends, is this the solution? <laughs> I don't want to get off the subject. I'm just trying to help us recognize that there are certain subtleties that are obvious but not always in our faces that plagues our children's generation beneath the surface, subconsciously, and sometimes it's difficult for them to properly verbalize. There are legitimate fears that has become part of their wiring that creates fear and hesitation in the dating process.
Here was my next question. And this question I'm offering to you, and I'm just going to tell you in advance. I offered this same question to an audience in Kutcher's this last Pesach, I think in the, in the audience in Kutcher's, I think the average age was about 107. <laughs> there were about 400 people in that audience. There were two men in the front row. One was saying he's married 53 years, and the other guy said, I'm 54 years married. Thank you very much. So here's the question I posed to the audience. Thank you very much. How many people are there in this audience? So there were 400. About 400. What's the average age? So I pretended it was about 50. <laughs> so I said, you know, what's 400 times 50? Any accountants here? 20,000. Here was my question. I asked the same question to the singles group, and I'm going to ask you the same question. In the 20,000 years, in this room I think is about 150 people. 150 times about, was the average age 30? Ladies, is that right? <laughs> so, all right, four, 40. We'll round it off. Is 40 good? What's 150 times 40? 6,000. 6, Excellent number. In cultures, 20,000 years of accumulative life experience. And in this room, 6,000 years of accumulative life experience. What will make two people happy long-term in marriage and I'm offering two options number one how similar they are and how less different they are based on the dating process they found someone that matched most of the items on this list the majority and out of ten they scored somewhere between six and eight on average and based on that they said you know what this sounds good to me what will make two people happy in marriage, long term. Number one, compatibility, they're the most similar and least different. Or, how well they manage the differences that will come up in the marriage. I asked the audience in Kutcher's, 20,000 years of life experience. And here I'm asking you, in your 6,000 years of life experience, what will really count will it be the former or the latter not one person out of the 400 said it was the former and I think everyone here agrees I'm gonna reinforce the question I'm gonna make it even more powerful and that is the following the person you know you are today are you the same person today as you were before you married there's no one in this room who's the same right okay joking aside <laughs> You're much happier. Okay. You know, someone once asked me my definition of a dysfunctional family. I said, that's easy. My definition of a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one member. <laughs> is there anyone in this room whose spouse is the same person before they married as, they, as after they married? Slight hesitation. Is there anybody? No one wants to say in case the other Okay. Just answer the question in your minds. Is there anyone in this room who's the same person five years after they married as they were on the day of their marriage? Five days later, they weren't the same person. But five years later. 
Next five years, we change all the time. Let me share with you one or two true stories, very briefly. Young lady from marries another gentleman, Mazel Tov. This is a true story, unbelievable. One of the things that really pushed him over the edge was the following. He saw, while he was dating with her, that whichever family they visited, the children were attracted to her like a magnet. She had this special way, just, just so her inner happiness seemed to glow on the outside and kids picked up on it. And that, he said, was the one factor that pushed him over the edge and said, that's the wife for me. I want her to be the mother of my children. True story. She gives birth less than a year later to their first child and she falls into depression. The child is not drinking from her and she finds it very complicated and difficult and she feels rejected and she falls into depression. And this goes on for a long time and he cannot figure it out. Here's the woman that of everything that attracted him, this, this one item was the most. And she's rejecting her child because she feels the child's rejecting him. Quest, another, another example, even stronger. Young man marries a young woman. She's about 23 years old. Very successful in her own business. She has not spoken to her father in 10 years. The father was abusive, and I don't want to say to what extent, that this girl had no relationship with her father. And one of the things that he was most attracted to was her independence. That she became stronger for what she went through. And now she owned her own company, she had four employees, and he was very attracted to the fact that she was able to hold herself despite or perhaps even because of what she went through. Two years into the marriage, happily married, she falls into depression. Why? Her father passes away. How could she fall into depression for her father passing away? This man took advantage of her when she was a young girl. And when he would challenge his wife, I don't understand. She wasn't going to work. She wasn't get, getting out of bed. Why are you depressed? She said, I don't think you realize. I didn't myself, that in the past 10 years that I had no contact with my father, I did not realize how underneath, this is the only man who would ever be my father. And one day I was hoping for a healing relationship. And now I feel I'll never have that opportunity. And that's what brought her down. What's the point I'm bringing out? That even if we check off all the things which we think we're looking for, do we know because of that and based on that, that this person will be the same person that I'm expecting to marry 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line? Or there are so many things that happens. A child is born and the two parents have completely different ways of handling this particular child. Totally different styles of parenting. Even if we had discussed in advance how we're going to raise these children, this particular child surfaces with his or her own unique personality and both parents have a totally different angle as to how they should parent, educate this child. Does this sound like an exaggeration or happens all the time? So the question now begs, who our child marries is not nearly as important as who our child is entering the marriage. Who we married is not nearly as important 
It's important, but not as important as who we are entering the marriage. Let me share with you one last story from the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz, I heard this from Rabbi Greenwald and Monty heard it from the Chazanish. That the Chavetz Chaim, 16 years old, came home for one Benazmanim. His mother already had remarried. She lost her first husband. And in those days, a widow who remarried often was not able to marry the same station. Had to make compromises. She married someone of coarse character. And this gentleman brought into the marriage a daughter of similar character. And when this husband of the Chavetz Chaim's mother set eyes on the young 16-year-old Yisrael Meir Kagan, wanted him to marry his daughter. And the mother of Chavetz Chaim was devastated. And when the Chavetz Chaim came home and he knew nothing of this, she could not even bear to tell him the pressure she was under. And he sensed, as sensitive as he was then, something was wrong. And he asked his mother, what is wrong? And she couldn't hold herself back. She broke down in uncontrollable tears. And she told him the pressure she's under. And he said to her, mother, why are you crying? I'll marry her. And he did. And he still became the Chavetz Chaim. See, what I'm trying to bring out here is the following. We're stuck with lists. Whether it's money, whether it's looks, whether it's will they be able to support, not be able to support. But we know in our adult life that in reality, when we take a reality check, who we marry is anyway not the same person 5, 10, 15 years. And we're not the same person. The person that's really going to count is who am I entering in the marriage? Who's my child entering into the marriage? Much less than who they are marrying. I'm not, God forbid, trying to say it's not important, therefore, to even look. But let's get real as to what's the real criteria. You said midot. How far does that really go? I'm going to share with you, and I'm taking a risk. I'm leaking information that I know is only going public next Saturday. This is, this is, this is unbelievable information, but I'm going to share it with you, and I'm taking the risk of it. There's a gentleman. He's a mafia guy. He's a mobster. He's actually, he's got his, his, his nickname is uh, Virginie. He's a man who's abused other people in his life. He's in real estate. It's going to be exposed next week. I don't know what's going to happen. You'll find out. You'll see in a few moments who I'm talking about. This man is so wealthy that he actually has so much clout and manipulation that he's a governor of certain real estate that's not in this country that any young lady who's about to get married has to visit him the night before her chuppah. This is a sick man that we're referring to. And he has a daughter, her name is Becky, by the way, and there's a, a from guy who I know wants to marry this girl. Now I'm going to ask you honestly, would you marry your son to the daughter of this man? And if you want to check out, as Chazal warned us to, the brother of the girl, let me tell you, this guy is a match for his father. He's a gangster, a liar, a cheat, a mobster, a con man par excellence. He makes JR in Dallas look like Winnie the Pooh. So my question to you, would you marry your child to this man's daughter? And who am I talking about? Basuel. It's going to be publicized next Shabbos morning. 
Pesuel. His real name was not Pesuel. The Medrash Agada tells us that it's a play on words. That he was such a sick mind that any Basula that was about to marry had to visit him the night before her marriage. And he was going to do the same thing to his daughter Becky, Rivka. Seriously, that's why the Malach knocked him off. That's why the Malach knocked him off that night before she left the next morning. He was going to do the same act. Would you marry your child to this child? And what, what does the Torah tell us? Why, is even, why would the Torah even dare to share this information? Let me share with you the Pasuk which we're all familiar with. Yitzhak ben Arbaim Shana Bekachdait Rivka Bas Besuel. Yitzhak Avinu was 40 years old when he took the daughter of Besuel, Arami, the Aramite, Mipadan Aram, Achois Lavan, the sister of Lavan, Harami, Loyla Isha, to be his wife. Rashi picks up immediately. This is Perakhafhe. Perakhaf Dalad has already introduced us to Rivka because Eliezer is searching for the right girl for Yitzhak. And when he sees Rivka, the Torah already tells us who she is, who's her father, who's the brother running out to meet Eliezer, and where they're from. So Rashi immediately asks, why does the Torah say, Bas Basul Mipadanaram Achos Lavan? Vichiadain loy nichtav, she bas basul, the Achos Lavan Mipadanaram, El Alahagid Shivcha. This is to tell us her praise. Shahita Bas Rasha, this girl, her father was wicked. The Achos Rasha, her brother was wicked. Umekoima Anche Rasha, and the place she came from, the culture, the values she was surrounded by, evil. And she did not choose to learn from their actions, their behavior, their ways. On the basis of her midot, the real measures of a human being, her kindness, that was the criteria. We're way advantaged. We've got a Jewish community to choose from, from people to choose from. And one of the problems, and I'm not here, God forbid, to accuse or blame, I'm here to share. We've reached a point where the level of picking on what we should be looking for is way off target. The first shidduch I ever went on, the first shidduch I ever went on 24 years ago, after 15 minutes talking to the girl, the father comes in, I don't remember if he even knocked on the door, and asked to speak to me. Pulls me out of the room. It's not Hasidish. Uh, uh, in England they're much more formal even today than they are over here and that was normal you met the parents and then the daughter and after 15 minutes he calls me out the room and asks me do you like my daughter <laughs> so I was I wasn't sure how loaded this question was if I said well I, I like her enough to continue meeting and he said well I have two questions to ask you absolutely true question number one will my father wear a hat under the chuppah Number two, would, would my family mind if the wedding was Milchik's? <laughs> now, suffice to say, I didn't marry his daughter. <laughs> and I thought this was archaic and ridiculous, absurd, way off the margin. But from what I hear, sometimes the type of question that is asked to the Shadchan 
Something to do with stacking. Has everyone any heard about stacking? I mean, I'm asking, is this on target? Is this way off the margin? When, uh, I'll elaborate. <laughs> when clearing off the table, does the Kala or the Hassan's parents, do they stack the, ta the, the plates before they take them off the table or while they're taking them off the table? Because it matters. Is the tablecloth patterned? Is it blue or is it only white for Shabbos? Now, I'm, I'm sure none of this relates to any of, and many of you laugh at this because it is so absurd. But I'm just bringing out that we, as married adults, 5, 10, 15, 20, some of us in this room are married 30 or more years. We know the answer to the question, what really counts? And the answer is, how well will two people manage the differences that will come up in the marriage? And that will hang on midot more than anything else. It won't be money. Someone once told me, as a police officer, and um, he was called to a scene where a lawyer had just bought a brand new Mercedes. I think mean, it was a 500 SLR 500, gorgeous Mercedes. And he parked it right outside his office. He couldn't wait for all his colleagues to see the brand new Mercedes. And just as he get out, gets out of the car, a truck passes by. It was a bit of a narrow road. And shores off, cuts off the front door. Gone! And this attorney is jumping hysterical. You destroyed my car. This is crazy. The cop who came to the scene is looking at the attorney and says, what's the matter with you? He said, look, my car's destroyed by this stupid truck driver. It doesn't look where he's going. He said, you attorneys are all the same. All you care about is your possessions. He said, what do you mean? My, tr my car's destroyed. What do you mean your car? Your arm is missing. <laughs> the truck cut your arm off as well. So the attorney turns around and says, oh my God, where's my Rolex? The problem, when we put money on the list, where is it on that list? Yes, it matters. Financial responsibility, extremely important. Oh my gosh, we're living in a generation where if I can't afford something, what do I do? I charge it. I buy it with a credit card. You know, we're living in a generation where no one in history was able to buy like we can. We can buy things we don't have the money for, and we're buying things we don't need, to impress people we don't like. <laughs> it's gone haywire. And some of the questions that come up are about, am I, how much money am I putting into an apartment that really costs a quarter of a million dollars for my child living in Yushalayim or Borough Park or Brook, wherever it is. And we know when we're forced against the wall, the real question is, how will they manage the differences we don't know that in advance, but it only hangs on one thing, Midot. Avram Avinu is teaching Eliezer, is teaching us in the Torah, that of all the criteria, stick with simple, because that's what counts in the end. Money, yes. Family, yes. All those are bonus. But the only, forgive me for saying it this way, the only thing that will really count long term is who is my son, who is my daughter in their midot and their capacity to handle the differences that will come up. Their power of affection 
respect, love, gratitude and appreciation even when their spouse is very different and sometimes sharply so. There's much more to be said on this, on this subject and I want to open up to the, the opportunity for the panel to respond to your questions. So I'm going to close with one last example. Rebchia, the great Rebchia, who's sometimes referred to as Rebchia Gadol. The Gemara Nuvamas, Samach Gimel Amud Aleph 63a, shares us, an un when we look at it carefully, it's an unbelievable statement. Rebchia had a very difficult wife. His father, Rav, also had a difficult wife. And Rebchia was known that when he would pass through the marketplace, he would specifically look for a gift that he knew his wife would appreciate. He, the Gemara describes how after he bought it, he would wrap it carefully in his scarf and bring it home to his wife. Rav asked Rebchia, why are you so appreciative when it's so obvious even in public your wife is sometimes very disrespectful, embarrasses you? And this was Rebchia's answer, unbelievable answer. And it's clear from the way he answered this question, he was not offering an answer that's about him. He's offering an answer that's generic to all spouses. And he said, essentially the following, I'll quote the exact quote, but I'm giving it to you simple. There are two virtues. That those two virtues alone, my wife deserves all the covered and appreciation and respect. Despite anything else I have to suffer, these two virtues alone weigh over um, weighs everything on, to the, on the scale of zechut that I owe her everything. Anything else that I get from her is just bonus. And this is what he answered. It's enough for me to appreciate, love, respect my wife for number one, raising children. The pain of raising children. For the most part, husbands, we're not involved. Yes, we are, but for the most part, we're not in the trenches. Not from pregnancy, Saleda, Sagidlbanim, for the most part, it's the wife that carries that burden. And they save us from Chet, says Rashi, Hirhur Aveira. Just going out to work in today's environment, where it's almost a psik ratio, it's almost impossible not to see what's being thrown in our faces. That a wife that is loyal to her husband, especially in the bedroom, that they are receptive to each other and don't hold back from each other, and save us from even thinking to go elsewhere, to entertain the thoughts of other nashim in the minds of the husbands. Rabkir was answering generically for all generations that what we lose sight of is counting the simple virtues which are very powerful and very deep and for those alone we owe loyalty I will close and I mean it <laughs> on the I was asked not to speak more than 40 minutes and it's just gone 43 so I'm gonna close now on the following five items number one <laughs> I'm gonna say it really quick this I took from Rabbi Victor Milhatzal. He has a tape, excellent tape, on the Ten Commandments of Marriage. And one of the things he says there is parents-in-law keep out. That when a child marries, the best thing for me to do as a parent or parent-in-law is not let them share with me any complaint about a difference between them and their spouse. 
that is for them to work out and if they cannot they should be going to an impartial a Rav Rebbe they both have respect for or professional but not come to mom dad or parents in law even if we try to be impartial it's only a matter of time before God forbid we lose it and then we make wrong judgments number two Rabbi Victor Miller said always sleep in the same room no matter what never throw a spouse out the room that's great advice to give our children never no matter what differences come between them the bedroom is is a sanctity he the way he put it is that the routine of marriage must never stop just like God please tell me I'm not available I'll call back later just like God if we anger God if we get up if Hashem's upset with us what does he respond that's it no gravity for a week No, God doesn't start breaking his contract. The sun keeps doing its orbit, the earth, the moon, gravity, sunshine, everything continues. God says don't break the routine just because we're out of rapport right now. Fix the rapport, fix the click, but we don't break the routine. She still makes the meals, he still goes to work. She still goes to the mikveh, he still is receptive to his wife. There's no threats of, right, I'm not going to the mikveh this month. Or, you know, don't bother going to the mikveh this month. No. These are very important things we need to tell our children up front. So they should know these are laws they should not break under any circumstances. I will end off. I really mean it. The last one, he says, always make shalom as soon as possible. Don't let bad feelings fester. And the most important PhD to get is apology the most important PhD to get a PhD in saying sorry the power of I apologize I admit I made a mistake and I'll close I do 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 mean it and this is it the perfect husband joke Uh, a bunch of friends of mine playing soccer amateur soccer every week they get into the locker room and they're changing and someone's cell phone goes he picks up the cell phone and uh, the wife on the other end says, Honey! Listen, darling, I'm so glad I got through to you. I'm at the mall, and I saw this gorgeous leather jacket. It's only going for $1,000. What do you say? She says, Honey, buy it. So I love you so much. Just before we hang up, on the way to the mall, I passed the Mercedes dealership. It's amazing. The new SLR 500 is only going for $60,000. What do you say? If it's fully loaded, get it. Says, oh, darling. You know what? You remember the $1.5 million home that was off the market? It's back on the market for 1.3. What, what should we do? Says, you know what? After the 1.2, darling, I love you so much. Thanks. Bye, honey. Closes the phone. All the men staring at him, astonished. What sort of standard is this man setting for all the. This is crazy. And what does he say to them? Whose cell phone is this? The moral of the story is, there's no perfect husband. <laughs> there's no perfect spouse. We're not here to be perfect. But we are here to figure out how to manage the differences. How to be b'shalom, respectful, loving, even though we make mistakes. Thank you for your patience.